create a system that provides value to somebody. So fine tune the system and spend as much time and be as maniacal as you can to create the perfect system and then find somebody else to operate it for you. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fun That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fun That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fun That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times, giving us his insight on the online lending process. Fun That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever, and you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Super important. You can print out all the detailed reports. And that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, a whole bunch of others with us today. Devin Elder. How you doing, Devin? Doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit more about Devin. He is the managing partner at DJE Texas Management Group. He's a multifamily owner and apartment in a number of multifamily projects. He's done over 50 deals since 2012 and currently purchasing two to five single family projects per month to flip, rent, and or wholesale. With that being said, Devin, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Right now, like you mentioned, I've got a heavy focus on single family acquisition. I live in San Antonio, Texas. I like it. I feel like we're able to find a lot of deals where the numbers work. So we're pretty heavily focused on the acquisition. I've been doing this for about five years. I started with single family rentals and then transitioned into flips and all with the goal to be able to leave my corporate career, which was a good six figure job, but I just couldn't imagine doing it for decades. So we're cranking along with the single family stuff. We're doing multifamily too. And the goal really over the next couple of years is to just continue flipping houses to build liquidity and continue to build our single family rent portfolio. But really as those chunks of money build up to continue buying more multifamily, both as a principal and as a passive investor in other people's deals. Okay. Makes sense. Have you left your, your corporate job? Yeah. It's been about a year and a half now since I've been out doing this full-time. All right. So you are full-time real estate. You're fixing and flipping houses to bring in chunks of cash, and then you're reinvesting those chunks of cash into either long-term holds that you're the principal in or you're investing passively in other people's deals. That's exactly right. Yep. Okay. 
you've been full-time for a year and a half. What's that transition been like, first of all? It's good. I think at first, I was probably not as prepared as I should have been. I feel like I was almost tested right after I cut the cord on the job with a bunch of projects didn't turn out the way I wanted and things were harder than I thought. I wish I would have had more capital squirreled away. But, you know, these tests come up in life. And I just made the decision that I wasn't going to waver. And after about six months from leaving the job, I started to find my pace. um, And really... The goal for me was to 10x my income from my day job. And you know, here we are 18 months later and pretty much have done that. So, I mean, it's been phenomenal and life-changing. I don't want to turn anybody off to the fact that it's completely life-changing in every way possible. Of course, it's hard getting started, but I feel like the rewards on the other side of it are well worth it. What was the hardest part of getting started from part-time to full-time? I had my rental portfolio going, and so I I had been doing both for a number of years. The hardest part of actually leaving that job, honestly, I think was conditioning. You just are conditioned to depend on somebody else for a paycheck. I believe kind of on a macro society scale, most people are conditioned to go to get that job and not take risks. So I, I think I really had to break out of that conditioning, and it really helped to know other people that were already doing what I wanted to do in order to kind of break free of that. I think it was a mindset thing more than any of the financial stuff or anything else. Will you tell us about the last deal you closed on and the numbers and what you're doing with that deal? Yeah, absolutely. Let's just look at a run-of-the-mill project that I'm closing on in about four days on the sales side. I've got so many deals going on right now, I could I could pick a million of <laughs> And on the sales side, meaning you're buying it or you're selling it after the flip's complete? The latter. All right, you're buying it. So the project is completing its cycle and you're closing in four days. Okay, got it. And it's better for me to talk about that because yeah, agreed. I know all the numbers rather than something I just bought today. So this was a house that a friend of mine, realtor, found for me. We actually found it off the MLS, which is maybe only one in 10 properties that we find. Bought it off the MLS. We made a strong cash offer, a little bit lower than the asking price. We were able to pick it up at 75000 no option period. We just went in with the strong cash offer, no option. Close it at seventy five. What they want for it? I think they had it listed at like 85 okay. or 80. It was not too much of a discount, but anytime anything hits the MLS, at least in this market right now, every wholesaler is, is on it and making offers. So that's why we went with no option period. Picked it up for 75. We ended up putting 22 of rehab into it, doing a new roof, refinishing floors, doing granite, knocking out some walls for the kitchen, opening it up, redoing the bathrooms, a pretty thorough renovation and then we ended up selling it for 140 which is slightly higher than our list price and then we gave them back some concessions and we'll walk with $21,000 net everything and that's with a lender that we paid two points and 10% to that's with our insurance I mean literally every dime of the expense and that's also with the agent listing it and I basically tell agents I meet hey guys if you find me a distressed property you can Represent me on the front end when we buy it. And you can also represent me on the back end when we sell it. And that's a little carrot for them. So I would call that kind of a nice little base hit. You know, we didn't make $50,000 on it, but 20000 is a nice little chunk of profit to put back into the operating account. You mentioned that includes the lender, so two points and a 10% interest. And then you said insurance. Will you talk a little bit about the insurance part and the costs? On every project that we do, we buy a builder's risk policy. 
to cover the cost of the project and the rehab and, and to basically replace the whole thing if it burned to the ground. And this protects me as the investor. And then, of course, it protects my lender. We put the lender as the lost payee on the policy so that I've got a number of projects going. And if any of them were to burn to the ground, I'm protected. Also, the thing gets broken into or vandalized or some smaller thing like that. Or recently, what happened in San Antonio, we had this unprecedented hailstorm. There was probably 10 houses that I had to replace roofs on, and I was able to just get insurance claim checks on all those. So definitely helps my peace of mind and helps my lender's peace of mind to have that policy. On this particular project, it was $650. So really, really nominal cost when you're looking at the overall project. Is it usually a flat fee? I usually do a six-month policy, and it is a flat fee. And then if we finish early, sometimes I can get a little bit of a rebate back. Again, it's pretty nominal. You came right out of the gate a year and a half ago as a full-time investor. How many deals did you do as a flipper over the first, say, three months of you being full-time? Into full-time? Let's see. I had done two flips prior to going full-time, and that's what convinced me that I could do it. Now, I'll preface this by saying I already had a rental portfolio that was producing five or $6,000 a month in passive income. So I would not have quit without that. That was my base salary. I wouldn't have just jumped cold into flipping. I think flipping is a advanced strategy that is definitely not the place to start. I would not counsel anybody to start with flipping, but I'd done probably 15 plus rentals. So I'd gone through 15 rehabs and refinances and I'd done that over the course of a couple of years. Then I started getting into flipping. Within the first six months, I probably bought a project a month at that time. Do you have any full-time team members? If so, who was your first hire as far as their position? I just hired an office manager in January 2017. So we're we're days into that hire. She's full-time, hourly, 1099 employee with some bonuses when we close a house off our own marketing. I turned one of the houses I own into an office. So now I've actually got an office. And that's it for full-time. I mean, I've got just an army of contractors and plumbers and subs and all those guys. And there's just tons of them, but nobody's full-time. I may bring on somebody full-time as an acquisition manager later this year, but I'm just starting to see the light on the office manager and how much she can start to take off my plate as we continue to ramp up the number of projects we're doing. When did you know it was time to make your first hire, which is the office manager? I set a goal for a million dollars annual revenue and I ran all the numbers and I put together a projection that I felt like was very realistic for me to get to. But you start stacking up the minutia. You know, I have a very regimented checklist on every flip I do. And frankly, 80% of it is not high skill and can be done easily by someone else. And then you start looking at stuff like, oh, we forgot to put our sign in this house across town. And really what it was, was here's what it was for me, Joe. I look at my hourly pay. If it's a million dollars a year revenue and I want to work 30 hours a week, my goal is to work no more than 30 hours a week because I didn't get into this to work 100 hours a week. Well, that comes out to about $640 an hour on average, right? So I started looking at all the tasks, my daily tasks, and said, well, if my average is to be $640 an hour, 90% of the things that I do during the day are nowhere near that. 10% of them, maybe $10,000 an hour tasks. So it was really just breaking out all the tasks I do, looking at their dollar per hour value and saying for a couple thousand dollars a month, give or take, somebody can take, start to take some of the stuff off my plate. So that's what it was. It was looking at a dollar per hour and where my dollar per hour needs to be versus where I was currently spending. Mm. 
what are the aspects of your list when you took an assessment of the tasks that you have? What are the tasks that you continue to do that did meet that threshold of $640 an hour? I maintain the relationship with all my private lenders. So I'm never having anybody go to my private lender and ask for money. I maintain those relationships. So anytime there's a project and I'm raising money for it, I handle that, sending out that email and that communication. I'm maintaining the final say on the numbers. I mean, I'll have my assistant run all the numbers and do some desktop due diligence. But of course, I've got to spend a couple of minutes on the final approval. And then really sometimes we'll have designers and contractors and project managers or people functioning like that. So I really don't have to go to the project as much. So I'm looking at my list right now. I mean, it's really all on the buy side, making sure we're buying the right house with the right numbers and then teeing up the lender and then doing the closing. I haven't outsourced the closing, although we are doing it now at my office instead of the title company, which is awesome. For someone who wants to become a full-time fix and flipper who currently has a full-time job, what's something that you would tell him or her? First thing would be do not start with flipping. I don't think that's the place to start. I think it's too nuanced and risky to jump right into. I would recommend, this is just my own experience, start with some rentals. Start with the buy, fix up, buy with hard money, fix it up, refinance it and rent it. And that's going to give you the framework of borrowing money, of working with contractors. And you're also building your net worth and your assets there. But in my opinion, it's much easier to refinance a rental than it is to sell to a buyer. There's just so many more moving pieces. So that's how I got started with 10 or 15 rentals before I ever attempted flips. I recommend the same thing to other people and certainly don't quit your day job. If you have one flip and you make 30, 40,000, that does not have the makings of quitting your day job yet. Work on building those systems and networks. And now it's something to someone who already has flipping experience and they have a full-time job similar to you but maybe they have done more flips because you said, I believe you said you had done a couple flips while you had your full-time job. So they've done 10 or so, and now they're ready to transition full-time into fixing and flipping. Any advice for them? I would recommend going out and getting as much access to capital as you can, whether that's private lenders, making sure you have some private lenders lined up, seeing if you can get lines of credit from your credit unions and get lines of credit Not necessarily to purchase the houses, use private lenders for that, but if you can line up some lines of credit at five, six, seven percent interest, having access to that capital is going to really make things go smoother and not force you into a corner where you're having to make panicked decisions. You don't ever want to have to be in in that situation. So I would say sock away as much cash as you can, get access to lines of credit, and then make sure that your deal flow is available, whether that's multiple wholesalers or whether that's a wholesaling strategy of your own, but line up your cash and your deals before you jump out of the job. I love that. I can tell you and the best ever listeners firsthand that when I had my full-time job, I got access to a line of credit, a $40,000 line of credit with American Airlines Credit Union at 7% interest. And that has served me or it served me whenever I was starting out my journey as an entrepreneur. And I was just becoming profitable. And it's great because when you have a full-time job and you got that W-2 income, you can get approved for some pretty good pricing and terms from portfolio lenders, so credit unions and community banks. Which credit union and or community bank do you like to use in San Antonio? 
Security service, Federal Credit Union has all of my business accounts and several lines of credit. I also like Sonora Bank for a lot of my refinances. They're a commercial lender. They've got really good terms. They'll do up to 85% loan to value cash out refinances. As of right now, you know that could change, but they've been a partner that I've done a lot of refinances with. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Create a system that provides value to somebody. So fine tune the system and spend as much time and be as maniacal as you can to create the perfect system and then find somebody else to operate it for you. And what that allows you to do is scale and just constantly focus on what your dollar per hour should be so that you're never doing anything that's below that threshold. Create a system and let somebody else run it. And that's what I've done with my flip calculator and my numbers and then the checklists and having every to where if I'm flipping a house, I'm spending throughout the life cycle, the entire project, no more than a couple hours on the project. Everybody else is doing everything on it. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. BestEverConference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to BestEverConference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. Best ever book you've read. Ever is going to be Think and Grow Rich. Since you put an emphasis on ever, it leads me to believe you've got another book in your back pocket that you'd also like to mention. So what's the second best ever book that you've read? I would say Gary Keller, Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Mm. I haven't read that book, but I read Millionaire Real Estate Agent. In the investor book, did he say the first hire should be an assistant? You know, I don't remember that specifically. He probably did. What I liked about that book is it really laid out this whole roadmap. It made a lot of sense and was really inspiring for me a couple of years ago when I was getting started. The reason why my assistant was my first full-time hire was because I read The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, even though I'm not an agent. And I was like, well, it applies to my business as well. And that's definitely worked out, helped increase my dollar per hour value. What's the best ever personal growth experience and what did you learn from it? The best ever growth experience for me was jumping out of the nest at the corporate job. I mean, I had everything I could ask for in this corporate job. A great boss, good pay, flexible hours, and I just still couldn't stomach it. Jumping out of the job was positively terrifying, but you have to grow into it. I remember, if you look back, I remember being terrified from eighth grade to high school. That was terrifying, but you get over it. And all these other experiences when you're younger are terrifying. But you get over it. And I think as people become adults, they stop doing things that are terrifying. So what I learned from it was just that I had to grow into the kind of person that could run 
the kind of business that I had envisioned and forces you to grow. So that was a tremendous personal growth experience. I think we, we use the term personal growth as this positive thing, but it doesn't certainly doesn't feel positive at first. It's, it can be absolutely terrifying, but by overcoming that and, and pushing through it, there's just tremendous rewards on the other side of that fear. What's the best ever deal you've done? The best flip I've done right now, I think we made 52000 on. It's actually one of my first deals, and it kind of was everything went smooth, and we actually found a buyer before we even put it on the market. So that was a good start. We just picked one up this week, though, that conservatively is looking like a $100,000 profit. So maybe if we talk in the future, I'll have a new one for you. And how'd you find the deal that looks like a hundred K profit? The wholesaler called me off one of my signs. I put signs in front of every project I have around the city. Um, AlamoCashBuyers.com and people can go there. He saw that and called me and said, wanted to start a relationship with me. We had a good conversation and literally the next day he sent me this project and he texted me. I was in the area 30 minutes later. I'd done the walkthrough 30 minutes after that. I talked to the lender. They approved it and Literally that afternoon, he was coming by my office to get a deposit and sign the assignment over. So, What's the best ever way you like to give back? I struggle with this a lot, Joe, because I don't want to just write checks to organizations and I don't know where the money's going, but I do want to give back. And I think the best way for me to do that right now is to empower capable people to grow. And specifically, that's around real estate, right? So I meet a lot of people. Frankly, some of them I feel like maybe don't have what it takes but I feel like the people that I come across that have what it takes to make something of this business, I really like to teach them, give them resources. You know, I'm an open book with all my contacts and everything and help them in any way I can so that they can succeed, so that they can go impact their families and their future. And that to me right now from my vantage point seems to be the most impactful thing I could do is to empower capable people to grow through real estate. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Well, I had a project that we lost money on, and I made probably every mistake you could make. I hired a, a contractor. I didn't really vet. I did not run the numbers correctly. I did not run the numbers by a trusted advisor, which is definitely something you should do in the beginning. And I even do that now. I run almost every deal by a couple of people that I trust before I close on it. I had to fire that contractor. We went way over budget. The scope of work was just massive. The project went for a long time. We were in a high interest, hard money loan. What else went wrong? The project went way too long. It was really kind of a test of my will and kind of a test of my capital at the time too. But I powered through it and I told myself throughout the whole ordeal, if I can make it through this, I could do anything. So I lost money on it, but I feel like I don't want to say it's a badge of honor. I never encourage anybody to lose money, but I think that's the kind of thing that would have wiped most people out of the game and they'd never come back to real estate investing. So man, I'll tell you after that deal, my systems got a thousand times better. It just creates character in you. It builds character in a way that I just don't think you can get from any other avenue. So I don't advocate failure, certainly don't set out to fail, but you create a lot of character that I think has been the foundation of being able to build the rest of the business from then. What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? Probably devinelder.com is the best, D-E-V-I-N-E-L-D-E-R.com, and that'll link to my other sites and projects. I could tell when you're talking about the mistakes, it seems like you're proud of them because they've made you who you are and you can say you've overcome the mistakes. And if that's the case, that's how I feel too about the projects that don't go according to plan, but you come out 
bigger and stronger and more intelligent and you refine your approach so that, as you said, your systems got 10 times better. Thank you for sharing that as well as the deals that you've done as recently as the $75,000 one with no option period so that you could get in there, put 22000 in there and are selling it in a couple days for 140000 and going to net about $21,000. And then talking through lender costs and your advice for people who have a full-time job and want to get into fix and flipping, well, perhaps don't do that. <laughs> Instead, buy rentals and fix and refinance that. And then for those who are fixing and flipping and they do have a full-time job, then get access to capital, leverage the W-2 income that you have and get as much access to capital should you need it, which you likely will once you get going. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th, the conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.